Hey, good morning, City Light Council Bluffs. I cannot overstate what a privilege it is to be with you guys. Um, yeah, so I'm Gavin, and uh, I have a wife, Sarah, and three kids, and they were going to be here this morning, and my wife got insecure about finding the new building. She's only been to the Peterson building, and so I called her at 11. She said, we, we got insecure. We just went to City Light Omaha. It was, I just knew where to go. I said, okay. So greetings from my wife. We have kids seven, five, uh, no, oh, he would be mad, uh, no, seven and a half, seven and a half, that's key, seven, five, and three and a half, and uh, they're across the City Light Midtown. Greetings from City Light Omaha, and uh, I want you guys to look around for a second, look at each other, look at this room. We are living in an answered prayer. Just as Doug said, we are living in Jesus' answered prayer, that he prayed that the body of Christ would be one. We are seeing and experiencing that answered prayer, and this is an answered prayer um, that so many in this community of Council Bluffs has been praying for decades, that we over in Omaha have been praying for some time that the gospel of Jesus would continue to go forth, give birth to new local gospel expressions, new churches that exalt Jesus and preach his Bible, and what a privilege it is for me to be here with you guys. And so here we go. We're going to continue on in our John series this morning. If you have a Bible or a phone app, do turn to John chapter 6 verses 25 through 40. We've got 16 verses we're going to look at this morning. And as you turn there, uh, I'll say this, right now is wedding season and kind of the tail end of graduation season. And for many of us, that means a very busy schedule. As a pastor, it means every Saturday I'm out of the house, either marrying someone or, you know, at a ceremony. And last night, it was a high school graduation party. So I'm at the armbrust. You know, the senior from, from Miller North graduated, and I'm celebrating with the family, and here they have all this food at the graduation. They've got ribs in a big roasting pot, barbecue delicious. They have pulled pork barbecue in a big roasting pot, and they have two homemade potato salads, homemade coleslaw, chips, the whole drill, and so I get one plate and then two plates. Well, there's more. I get a third plate. And then you see the cake and the cookies and the cupcakes. So you have a couple and you're chatting and you're eating. And, you know, it's warm last night and I'm sitting outside talking to friends. And all the blood is here trying to digest that food. And I'm warm and comfortable and the eyelids are getting heavy. And I thought to myself last night, I may never eat again. I mean, my stomach is so full, so satisfied in this moment. I certainly can make it another week without eating another bite of food. Have you ever been there? You eat so much, you think, this full, I won't have to eat for a while. But what happens? This morning I woke up and I was extraordinarily hungry. It was like the feast had stretched out my stomach and my body craved more food. And so this morning I had honey bunches of oats with the little almonds. I made a fruit smoothie. I had a robust breakfast and then came here for a donut and a banana and the whole drill. But that's what happens with our hunger. No matter how much we eat, our body will process that food and be hungry again. And what Jesus is going to show us this morning in this text is that the same thing is true spiritually unless Jesus becomes our very sustaining bread. Um, the setting of this text, remember, that Doug just read, it falls right after in John chapter 6, 1 through 16, the feeding of the 5,000. And remember, there's 5,000 men plus women and children on the hillside. Our Lord is teaching. It's supper time. No one thought to bring food. And so what does Jesus do? He takes the little kid's lunchable, 
couple fishes, some loaves. He multiplies it miraculously, feeds them a mighty meal, so much so that the gospel records that they were leftovers, okay? Ziploc baggies going home into the fridge, an enormous feast. In the context of our scriptures, it's the next morning. And so they have journeyed over a lake and they encounter Jesus and these people are hungry. They see him and they want to know, can we have some more breakfast? They are hungry once again. And Jesus is gonna use that moment to teach them and us, to use this analogy of physical hunger to teach us something about our spiritual hunger. That listen, we are all a people who hunger spiritually. All of us do, whether we know it or not. Our souls are asking very hungry questions. Am I important? Am I valuable? Am I loved? Do I have a purpose? What am I doing? We have an insatiable hunger. And there are foods of this world that we will try to fill and satisfy ourselves with, whether that's promotions at work or sex or success or Facebook likes and popularity, even religious accolades, whatever it is, we will try to feed ourselves. But what Jesus is gonna come along and teach us this morning is that he is the bread of life. He is the one meal that can satisfy us on into eternity. He is the one meal that will not leave us hungry again in the morning. And so City Light Council Bluffs, as we go through this text this morning, though it may be a familiar story for many of us, okay? Jesus, bread of life, what a neat analogy. But I want us to actually look into our own hearts and ask the question, okay, Are there breads of this world that I am honestly seeking to satisfy myself with? My performance at work, the things I'm looking towards, the things I'm working so hard, am I actually chasing something that can never satisfy me? Secondarily, I want us to ask the question, is Jesus my bread of life, okay? We're gonna see scripturally Jesus is the bread of life, but listen, you and me, we have a moment this morning to sit under the word of God, and I don't wanna miss it. I want us to do some self-evaluation, ask the question, okay, Jesus is the bread of life, but is he my bread of life? Am I feasting on him? Am I satisfied in Jesus? Or am I still longing to fill my hungry heart with something else? And so as we go through these 16 verses, here's what I wanna do. If I could humbly submit three points of application for us this morning out of this text, um, I would do it that way. So we'll break it down in three bits of application. I'd encourage you to write these down, by the way. You can put them in your phone or in your notes. Uh, But here's the first application I want to encourage us with this morning. Would we be a people who do the work of God? Write down, do the work of God. It's going to make more sense in a minute as I read it. But let's get into the text and see how Jesus describes the work of God that we must do. So here's the setting. Here we go, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did, uh, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, all right? So this is, this is a comical couple verses here. Here they've gone over to the other side of the sea, you know, chasing Jesus, and, and they just happen to bump into him. Oh, when did you get here? And Jesus sees right through it. You know, he says, listen, you're not here because you're hungry, right? You're hangry. You ate your fill of the bread. You know that I'm a miracle worker. You're hungry again. That's what he says in verse 26. In fact, these guys are hangry. Have you ever been hangry before? It's a Greek biblical word that combines hungry and angry. That's them. I'm just kidding. It's not really Greek. Um, 
but they're hangry. I've been there. This is me every morning. The worst case scenario, I get my cereal, pour it in the bowl, open the fridge to get the milk. Have you ever been there? And there is no milk. That's when I call Doug for marital counseling. Just Sarah and I need to work through some things. Can we sit down and talk about communication expectation? Uh, but that's them. They're, they're hungry. There's, when you're really hungry, there's one thing on your mind, and it's more food. And that is these people in this moment. But now watch how Jesus tunes into their physical hunger and uses this moment to teach them a very important gospel truth. Verse 27. Jesus tells them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, is the, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus is using this moment to say, hey, listen, you're hungry, but, but I, I want to show you that you're actually hungry for something more. Yes, you have a physical hunger, um, but I want to, and, and you've worked very hard for it, by the way. They've crossed the sea, they've tracked him down, they've gotten borderline stalkerish to get back to Jesus because they want another fish fillet, some more fish and chips, you know. He's saying, listen, you, you folks have worked so hard, would you work toward the food that will last you on into eternity? Will you do the work for food that doesn't perishes, that doesn't perish? And so naturally, they think, well, yeah, let's, I'll do that work. How do I work for it? Look what they ask in verse 28. Then they said to him, what, was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And here's the gospel bomb. Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Wow. Jesus says the work of God, how do we get the ever-sustaining bread of life? How do we get the, the bread that endures on for eternity? How do we satisfy our deepest longing? What labor must we do? He says, believe in Jesus Christ. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now their question is a natural question. They wanna know, okay, you've, you must have a wonderful product. They're probably not picking up on what he's putting down yet. They're still thinking physical bread. How do I get this wonderful bread that comes from God? What works do I do? And this is a natural question because the paradigm of this world is that we work and then we receive something of value. Amen? And that's a good system. That's the way it works. Um, I'm 34 years old. I have never been paid on a Monday for the work that I will accomplish Monday through Friday. I've always been paid on a Friday. That's the way it works. No boss pays you on the front end and expects you to, first you do the achieving, then you do the receiving. I never went to school and got an A on the first day. Here's your A, here's your diploma. We're gonna trust you to show up every day and do your homework and execute, but we're gonna, you know, you can receive the A on the front A and uh, on the front end and achieve it on the back end. No, 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 the paradigms of the world is first you achieve and then you receive. But Jesus comes along and shows us that in the gospel, how God relates to us church is vastly different than the systems of this world. He says, you want to do the work that gains eternal life? Believe in me. Jesus is saying, in a sense, I will do all the work. I will do the achieving. You do the receiving. You do the believing. What? Just believe? Just believe. I really believe that was the whole point of the miracle earlier in chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Yes, it is a picture of God's compassion towards his people. Yes, it is a picture of his power 
in his miraculous ways. But I think maybe even more so, it is but a parable of the gospel, the true story that he has come to tell. Think about those people on a mountain. Here they are, miles from any Runza or Burger King or Dairy Treat or Krispy Kreme or Krispy Queen. What's the one in Council Bluffs? Krispy Kreme. I love Krispy Kreme. There is not one on this mountainside. You have thousands of people. They have lost track of time. They did not bring a meal. And they are in a situation in which they are unable to remedy their own needs. And what does Jesus do? He comes and does for them what they couldn't do for themselves. He gives it to them as a gift. There's no opportunity to work. What did the people on the mountain do to earn their food? To work for their food? To deserve their food? Nothing. Jesus gives it to them. He does the achieving and we do the receiving. This is an amazing, paradigm-shattering gospel truth. To do the work of God is to believe in Jesus. And in believing, we receive everything that he has achieved on our behalf. Now, this is a, you know, this is a familiar truth. If, you, if you're a church person, if you come here on Sunday mornings, but I want to press this in church because this, this is counterintuitive to our Midwest, get her done, work hard, you know, lives in the Midwest. We are hardworking people, but when it comes to the gospel, our work is to believe in the work that was already done, which is Jesus Christ. We believe. But I want you to know it is work. It is work to believe. It is work to tell my heart, to command my heart, believe in Jesus, to remind myself of who he is. And this is the work not only for the non-Christian to become a Christian, though it is. Some of you might say, well, I'm glad you're preaching this point in case a non-believer walked in. They would believe and be saved. And that is true. How do we become a Christian? We do the work to believe that Jesus is the sinless son of God who came to live, die, and rise again on our behalf to forgive our sins and give us eternal life. How we become a Christian. But did you know it's the work of the Christian to believe as well? In City Light, I would say we have some work to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, we've got some work to do. We have some work to do. What is our work? It's the same. We believe. We have to believe, and I want you to know that it is belief in Jesus that he uses to change our hearts. We tend to think, well, if I try harder, do more, all of this, then I will grow as a Christian. But the primary work of the Christian is belief in Jesus. To hold up this word, believe what it says is true, and let it change us in our actions, attitudes, and behaviors from the inside to the outside. Let me give you uh, just a couple examples of how I think this works, make it very practical. One of the Christian ethics, to grow as a follower of Jesus, to grow as a Christian, we ought to become more and more humble people, right? Pride is the chief sin, um, C.S. Lewis would say. And God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So some of us in this room struggle with pride. Raise your hand if you struggle with the sin of pride. Those of you whose hands are up, you're extraordinarily humble to admit it. Those of you with your hands down, you are too proud to admit it. See how I tricked you there? So, so everyone with your hands down, you're the real proud people. But we're all proud, right? This is, this is something that we ought to be growing in. We ought to become more humble people. Well, the work of God to become more humble is not only to become self-aware. It's not only to encourage our wife, or our husband, or our kids to call us out when we're getting a little cocky. No, no, no. The work that will change us is really believing the gospel in our heart of hearts. How does believing change us? Well, I'll tell you. What does the gospel say about us? The gospel says that we are so sinful and depraved and flawed that it required God himself to come down and save us. 
He couldn't send an angel. He, it wasn't enough to send a, a self-help instruction manual. He couldn't bark down some order. Our condition was so needy, he himself had to come to rescue us. God put on flesh. That's my condition. That's what's required. Now, when you believe that in your heart of hearts, it's really hard to puff up your chest, be cocky and arrogant, and judge other people, isn't it? Believing the gospel will humble you to not only believe it for salvation, but believe it for your identity, that I am in such a posture of need before my heavenly father. You become humble. But on the other side of that, let me ask this. Let me give you another example. How many of you guys struggle with insecurity, a lack of confidence? That's me, and I tricked you once again, because if your hand's down, you're probably too insecure to put it up. If you put your hand up, you're a reasonably secure person. But we're all insecure, right? That's just human condition. But listen, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. We ought not think lower of ourselves, right? And so we do need to grow in a humble confidence. So how do we get there? You know, if the work of God is just to be more confident in him, just try harder, do better, you know, repeat some, uh, some feel-good thoughts in the morning and, and put your chin up, you know, then we could do it on our, no, no, the work of God is to believe the gospel. Well, how does believing Jesus make us more confident. Well, let's go back to the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel says, and listen to me, God loves you personally, so passionately, so intensely that he was willing to come down himself and put on flesh and die at the hands of the people who created him. You are so loved and valued by God that there was no price that was too high for him to pay. And when you believe that truth in your heart of hearts, when you take it to heart in your bones, it will make you a confident person. Not an arrogant person, but a humble, confident person. City Light, do you see how believing Jesus not only saves us, but it changes us? What we need to do is to do the work of God, and the word of God is to believe this truth, to wrestle with this truth. In my moments of weakness, when I'm short with my wife, when I'm short with my kid, when I'm, my attitude is not Christ-like, it is not that Jesus has become weaker, it's usually that my belief has become weaker. I'm not thinking about the things of God. My Jesus has gotten smaller in my mind because I'm not doing the hard work of believing. To be in the word of God, to cherish his truth, to apply it to my life and absolutely believe it. And so City Light Church, would we do the work of God? And the work of God is to believe in Jesus, whom the Father has sent. Here's the second application I'd have you write down. Second application I would have you write down is this. Feast on the bread of life. Feast on the bread of life. Let's get back into our text now this morning. In this first section, Jesus has sort of told them how to get the bread of life, by believing in him, doing the works of the Father. But now he's gonna bring real clarity. What is this bread of life? If I get it by believing, what is it exactly that I'm getting? Look at where he takes us in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So remember, this is Jesus's audience. It's a Jewish audience. And they're essentially saying, okay, you said you give us food that never runs out. We won't be hungry again. It's this eternal bread stuff. Why should we buy it? What sign do you give us? Listen, we are the chosen people of God. 
God has always provided food for us. He's always given us a sign. In fact, he gave our fathers manna in the wilderness. Of course, they're referring to Exodus, Exodus 16, where the people of God had just been liberated from their slavery in Egypt and God provided for them daily manna. He said, we had an amazing sign. God told us he'd provide for us and he did. He gave us a sign that he would provide that he was with us and it was manna, food from heaven on the ground every morning that met every one of our needs. So they're asking a natural question. What sign do you give us, Jesus? And his response is amazing. Look at verse 32. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What Jesus is starting to do, he's starting to redirect their attention from the bread to himself. The crowd is looking for a sign and Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in giving you a sign, I wanna give you the substance. You're looking for manna from heaven, some sort of sign. But all of that is too small compared to what God is giving you. He wants to give you the real thing. The manna in the wilderness was a sign to this moment. That was the sign. This is the substance And then they say in verse 34, sir, give us this bread always. In other words, sign us up. We'll take it. What is it? And ladies and gentlemen, here's the punchline of the whole passage, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I am the satisfaction that you have been looking for. The manna in the wilderness, it was a sign. The manna sustained temporary life, but in Jesus, God gives us eternal life. By the manna, God provided for the needs of the Jewish people. By Jesus, God provides for all the nations of the earth. In the manna, God gave his people a good gift. In Jesus Christ, God gave us himself. He says, I am the bread of life. City Light Church, did you know the greatest gift God could ever give us, the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. It's so easy to miss this. It's so easy to mock these guys, you know, They're standing right in front of Jesus, the very bread of life, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, and they're begging him for a Pop-Tart. They want another sign. They want a miracle. They want something to eat, and they've missed the point. And yet, I do the exact same thing. I look at Jesus like a bread factory and not the bread of life, the one who can give me what I want, missing the very fact that he is the only one that will ever satisfy he is the only one that my heart truly, truly wants. He not only gives us good gifts, he is the best gift. There's a, there's a common teaching that has made its way into the church. And again, it's easy to throw darts at it, but I think we all are guilty of it. And it's the prosperity gospel, right? It's fun to, to make fun of the prosperity gospel. Sort of a caricature is a guy, you know, a preacher standing up or an author who is writing If you come to Jesus, he'll give you all the bread you ever want, you know? Come to Jesus and he will make you healthy because Jesus does not want his children to be sick. Come to Jesus and he will make you wealthy 
because he does not want his children to be poor. Come to Jesus and he will give you six-pack abs and a four-car garage and a good hairline and good teeth and you will never struggle with wayward children and you will never struggle with doubt and you will never struggle with increased taxes on your property. You know, and, you, and, and we can say, oh yeah, 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 but, but how much of us or how many times do we in our own hearts see Jesus in the same way when really he is saying, listen, I am the bread of life. I am the greatest gift. We don't come to Jesus to get prosperity. We come to Jesus to get Jesus, and he is enough. And in his grace, he chooses to heal his children sometimes. And in his grace, he chooses to prosper his children. But the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ himself, who has come to be with the City Light Church. I want us to be a church, if I can say that, as a bit of an outsider here. Would you be a church who knows Jesus, cherishes Jesus, loves Jesus, is satisfied in Jesus, is feasting on Jesus, the bread of life. That's the invitation of this text. Jesus is the bread of life. Now let me try to make this practical in two more points before I, in two ways, before I move on to my last point. I think in in understanding that Jesus not only gives the bread of life, but he is the bread of life that we are to feast on, we learn two things about true belief in Jesus. The first truth I think that we learn is that true belief in Jesus is very intimate It's very intimate. Um, Think about it this way. In verse 51, Jesus says, you're gonna have to eat this bread. All right, so he's just said, I am the bread of life and you are gonna have to eat this bread. That sounds very cannibalistic, amen? Sounds a little bit weird, but what is Jesus teaching us in that moment? Think about when you eat. It is one of the most intimate acts that you will do all week, as weird as that sounds. You're gonna take something foreign to your body, you're gonna put it inside of your body, and you are gonna get life from that object. It is an experiential reality. Something comes inside of you, lives through you, and empowers you. And I think what Jesus is showing us and saying, I am the bread of life, is that Jesus is not just a doctrinal teacher. He's not just a priest who will lead you. He is not just a moral teacher who will keep your kids out of jail and keep your family right. Oh, no, no, church. He is something much more greater than that, and he wants something much more intimate for you than that. He wants to come from the outside to the inside and give life to you in an intimate, personal way. What did the Apostle Paul say? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Christian life is not one of doctrinal assent. It is one of the personal and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Jesus Christ, a living person, living inside a living person. Christ in you, Christ in me. The bread of life is personal. True belief is personal. Second way of application is that true belief is very active. It's active. It's participatory. It's not only a sense, we have to move on it, right? Here's a, here's a loaf of bread. I and Jesus is telling us he is the bread, we can think about this. So here's a, here's a piece of bread. There's a lot of things I could do with this piece of bread. I can look at this bread. I can smell this bread. I can feed this bread to Doug. I can have right doctrinal thoughts about this bread. Right? I can believe rightly. It's made out of wheat, flour, and salt, and yeast. I can even know what it will do for me. This bread will satisfy my hunger. This bread will give me life. This bread, but all of that is worthless unless what? Unless I eat the bread. I have to put it in my mouth and chew it and take advantage of all the benefits that I know rightly in my head. And listen to me, true belief is more than doctrinal assent. 
you can understand rightly who Christ is and what he has done for you, but true belief is when it becomes actualized in your heart. When you move in action, active faith in Jesus. It's one thing to say Jesus is the king of kings. It's quite another to let him reign and rule in your heart. It's one thing to say Jesus is savior. It's quite another to let go of all of your religious pride that says, I am somehow better than anyone else and God should love me and to say Christ is all. Christ is my only hope. He is my only hope before my Father in heaven. City Light Church, Jesus is a living God and he is active and we have to act in our faith. Faith is an active participatory sport. So number one, do the work of God, we have to believe. Number two, feast on the bread of life, that is Jesus. Third application that I think we get from our text is this. I'd have you write it down. Rest in Jesus's keeping. Rest in Jesus's keeping. Look at the very last verses of our text this morning, verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. Ever since I was a little kid, I've had a losing problem. I tend to lose things. I lose wallets, phones, keys, bags, backpacks. I lose sermon notes right before I preach quite frequently. I lose Bibles. In the fourth grade, I lost a turtle. Yeah, I had a turtle run away. This is a true story. His name was Hermie. I put Hermie out in the sun to sunbathe, went inside, forgot about Hermie, hashtag ADHD, came back out. My turtle, Hermie, ran away. I lost a turtle. I haven't lost a kid yet, but they're still young, so give me time. You know who doesn't lose things? Jesus. I'm not making this up. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on that last day. City Light, if I could humbly submit that if we could do the work of our own salvation, then we could undo that work. If we could earn God's love, it would make sense that we could unearn his love, but pay attention to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I saved you and I will keep you and I will never lose you. What an amazing promise, amen? We are so predisposed to conditionality. Every good news has an asterisk. What are the terms of the condition? This bread of life thing sounds wonderful, but honestly, what will get me kicked off the team? How can I lose this great meal? But here's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is God's radical one-way love accomplished by Jesus and kept by Jesus. He does the saving and he does the keeping. And so what do we do? We believe in him, we feast on him, and we rest in his keeping. The natural question is, you know, I did college ministry for like six years. The natural question is, well, does that mean, you know, can I get away with this sin and this sin and this sin? And does that give me a license to do this? And to that, I would say, if that's your earnest question, then it's probable that you aren't actually feasting on Jesus. You wanna know why? If you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you trust Jesus, you will do everything you can to honor the Jesus who is holding you close. You know, the thing that, one of the main reasons I'm compelled not to cheat on my wife, if I could be really transparent, 
is not just fear that she would leave me. It's precisely because she has vowed to never leave me. In other words, I'm motivated in my fidelity, not by fear, but out of love. This woman has vowed to give her whole life to me, to be with me no matter what. And my greatest fear is not her leaving, but wounding and maiming the very one who has committed herself to me unconditionally. That's a picture of gospel obedience. Jesus' keeping doesn't compel us to rebel. It compels us to hold fast to the one who is holding us fast to him. We obey not out of fear. Will I be kicked off the team, but out of love? Who is this Jesus who has saved me and kept me close and promised to never let me go? City Light, what a gospel promise. Jesus saves us and Jesus keeps us. This is personally good news. I would say, if God's love for me was based on my commitment to him, he would find me rather unlovable. As much as I think I'm a wonderful Christian, in all honesty, I am half-hearted at best on a good day. But God's love for you and for me is not based on our commitment to him. It is based on Christ's commitment to us. How committed is Jesus Christ to us? His commitment took him all the way to the cross. He never fails a commitment. And God's love for you is based on Jesus Christ's commitment. And Jesus promised, I will never lose one of whom the Father has given me. And so by way of application, I think the only appropriate response is to rest in Jesus, to worship Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to be thankful that we are close to the one who keeps us close to him. Uh, Let me end with this, City Light Church. Jesus is the bread of life. This is more than just an analogy, this is truth. He is the hunger that our hearts long for. And we're gonna leave this place, we're gonna go out, and we're gonna enjoy a summer week, and all of us will experience spiritual hunger this week. And in our appetite, we'll, we'll go to the, pantry door and we'll be tempted to go towards junk food. Maybe a few more Facebook likes for a clever post. Maybe a sexual engagement. Maybe some more success. If we only had a little more money, some will be inclined to drink too much. Some shop too much. (laughs) Some inclined to eat too much. But Jesus would come and say, the one that you are hungering after is me. So here's my encouragement to you, City Light Council Bluffs. Would you actively feast on the word of God this week, on the person of Jesus Christ? Would you believe him when he says, I satisfy? Would you learn to listen to his voice and would you be satisfied in Christ alone? Jesus is the bread of life. Hallelujah.